Reminder, um, I'm going to continue to give us kind of like a little um, uh, intro reminder where we are chronologically um, in this book. I know it's kind of hard to, to really uh, pinpoint where we are as we're working our way through this, se- especially this seven-year period known as the Tribulation. And uh, remember what, that we are looking at, what we're looking at is future events from chapter 4 all the way to the end of the book, chapter 22. That is all in the future, what John is seeing, what he is hearing. It's future for us as well. And remember with me, this is important to be reminded of, I believe, is that in chapter 4 and chapter 5, the apostle John was transported to heaven, and he was able to see what was going on behind the scenes in heaven. He came into the throne room, and and remember, he was able to see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and these amazing angelic beings. And also, who is there? The church is there, seated, crowned in the heavenlies with the Lord. And just by way of reminder, it's before the tribulation period. The tribulation, chapter 6 through 19, seven years of the most horrific time on planet Earth that, uh, that is unprecedented. There's nothing like it, and that never will be. And so I believe it's Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. That as God's children, we are not appointed unto wrath. And what's his means of deliverance? The rapture, the catching up of the church into the air to go with Jesus to be in the place in the Father's house that he's preparing for you and me right now. And remember also we saw in chapter 5, Jesus took that seven-sealed scroll from the Father's hand. Jesus is the only one worthy to look at it, to take the scroll, to open the seals. And I believe that's the title deed to planet Earth that he purchased with his blood. And so he begins in chapter 6. You guys remember he opened six seals and it began with a time of peace. The Antichrist is introduced onto the scene and there's a time of peace. But that time of peace is short-lived. It gives way to people killing one another and destruction and famine and and pestilence and and just weird stuff happening. Animals uh, coming after humans and shortage of food and, and the rich getting richer and the poor getting poor and this chasm um, ha- is continuing to grow wider and wider and just a gnarly time period on planet earth. And then remember Jesus opened the seventh seal which introduced seven trumpets, right? Seven trumpet judgments. And we looked at, how many of those did we look at last week? Four trumpet judgments last week and we saw that the judgments that came upon planet earth um, primarily uh, were focused upon um, the, the earth itself. Ecology and biology were, are affected at that time. And, and now as we get into the next uh, trumpet judgments, they're also called the woes also. And it's, it is a woe, what we're going to look at this morning. It is horrific. Um, it is, it's like something out of a horror movie, but it is a reality of what's going to happen on planet earth. And so... Um, to give a time, kind of a time uh, period before we move on, I think it's somewhere, this is my own opinion, um, you can take it or leave it, I got the microphone, so. <laughs> this is somewhere, I believe, around the midpoint of the tribulation, which would be, how long? Three and a half years, this is somewhere around three and a half years into the seven year period of tribulation, and so... Um, I believe a, like a simple reading of the scripture, just simply reading it and simply studying it, I don't believe all of these judgments are simultaneous, like 
one big boom, one big explosion. I personally believe that they are, they are, they happen incrementally, one by one. Why? Because in wrath, God remembers mercy. Aren't you glad for that? He's giving men, he's given men and women opportunity in the midst of this horrific time to repent and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ to be saved. Because the, if you reject Jesus Christ and you're here during the tribulation, it's going to get even worse in eternity. But for us as believers, the best is yet to come. Can I just remind you of that this morning? The best is yet to come for us. Our last breath here will be in the presence of our Lord and Savior where there is no more t- pain and suffering in tears because of what Jesus did for us. And so... Verse 1, let's check it out. Everybody kind of got their bearings straight now? Sort of. Definite maybe? Okay. Questions, come see me after service. We'll give you some more clarification. Then the fifth angel sounded. Here's what God's word says. The fifth angel sounded. He blew the, blew the trumpet. And I saw, who's I, by the way? John. John says, I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth to him was given the key to the bottomless pit and he opened the bottomless pit and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace so the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. I just want to stop right there for just a moment and then we'll get to the next verses in just a second. If you're still reading, stop reading, repent immediately. Thank you. Because I want to make sure we understand kind of the scene of what's going on here as we read this. The fifth trumpet is blown and John sees what? John sees another, he sees another angel um, blowing this trumpet, but he also sees a fallen star. In chapter 6, you guys remember that, that during this time that there's going to be stars that fall from heaven. We saw last week a giant star fell from heaven, and I believe those are physical stars that happen, but this is not a physical star that we're reading about. How do we know that? If you look at verse 2, look what it says in verse 2, and what's the second word, and what's the pronoun, and... He, so this star is not an object, this star is a person, right? And he's fallen. And by the way, that that Greek tense of the verb refers to a completed action. A star or an angel that has already fallen. And so who is a a fallen angel that we know of? Satan. Satan, the devil. That's right. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like like lightning. If you're taking notes this morning, you can check it out later. Isaiah 14. And Ezekiel chapter 28 give us further insight into um, Satan's original fall, his first fall. And we'll learn more about that also in Revelation chapter 12 because he took with him how many angels? How many fallen angels? One third. third. How many does that leave? Two thirds on our side. Is that good news this morning? (laughs) We got him outnumbered. Formerly known as Lucifer, fallen angel. He still has access at this time to heaven. How do we know that? Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 12, we know that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And so he accuses God's people night and day to God. 
And so how does all of this work out? I'm not really sure. The Apostle Paul, speaking of the devil and those spiritual hosts of wickedness, he saw them as some kind of hierarchy, some kind of military uh, army that was put together of demons or fallen angels. And there's some kinds of rankings that are going on with Satan, of course, being the head over all of them. But can I remind us this morning that, that Satan is not Jesus' co-equal. Jesus is the creator. Satan is a created being, a fallen created being. Satan is not omnipotent. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipresent. He's not everywhere. And he, doesn't, he doesn't, can't read your thoughts either. He's not all powerful. And we know that his power is limited to what God allows him to do. Job 1 and 2 again. And remember also when Jesus was speaking to Simon Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you to sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And when you return to me, go and strengthen your brethren. So Satan needs to get permission before he touches one of God's kids. Isn't that good news this morning? Is that good news this morning to y'all? He can't just like chew on you all day long. Sometimes it feels like it. And I think, I think it's, it's so crucial that we have a balance when it comes to this. Because some people on one end of the spectrum think, don't even believe that the devil exists. They think he just, he exists on, what's that, spam can, the little guy, the red dude with the pitchfork. But then you swing to the other end of the pendulum, and some people, it's all they talk about is the devil did this, the devil did that. You never hear about Jesus. What's Jesus doing? What's he doing in your life lately? So we have to strike a balance. What does the scripture say? What do we learn? Because why, don't, why am I bringing this up? Because Paul said that we should not be ignorant of, the, of Satan's devices, of his wiles, of his schemes. And we need to be reminded too, I think this morning, that hell is prepared for Satan and his angels. That's where they're headed. That's where they're headed. Somebody came up to me after service today and said, well, why is Satan doing what he's doing? And why, why you know, what's going on? He knows, his, he knows the scripture. He knows his time is through. It's coming to an end really quickly. Why is he doing what he's doing? And you know what I share with this person? I said, have you ever been pulled into a pool by your friends? Anybody here ever been pulled in? Your friends try to grab you and pull you into the pool. What do you try to do? You just let them do it? Oh, this is great. What do you try to do? You try to pull as many people in with you, don't you? If I'm going in, y'all are going in with, all y'all are going in with me. <laughs> Correct? It's like, I'm gonna, that's what Satan's doing. He's trying to take down, his nature is to do what? To steal, to kill, to destroy. That's all he wants to do. He is a destroyer. In fact, Peter said, remember in 1 Peter chapter 5, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And so let me encourage us this morning, though. Um, I do not believe that, that Christians can be demon-possessed. And if you think we can, I think there's a church maybe for you somewhere that believes that. We don't believe that here. God's not in time-sharing. He that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. It's not like, it's not like God owns your heart and Satan's got your pancreas. It is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Please don't forget that, precious brother or sister. And so he's largely an invisible enemy, but we see his effects working all around us. And so 
He's got a vast kingdom of wicked spirits, this hierarchy, and we're going to see it this morning. Look what happens. So he's, he's given this key to the bottomless pit, special key to open up. Some of your Bible translations may say the abyss. Um, it's abuso. Um, this seems to be a place, uh, a brutal place in the unseen realm. Some people believe it's at the center of the earth where there is a whole bunch of demons that are incarcerated. We know that Jude tells us, Second Peter tells us, that there are certain wicked, uh, so horrific demons that are bound up until judgment day. And there's also some here, fallen angels, demons that are being held in the bottomless pit. Later we will read the Antichrist um, uh, is connected with the bottomless pit. Satan will be bound for a thousand years in this place, the bottomless pit. And remember with me, you guys remember when Jesus went to Gadara? You guys remember he landed on the shore of Gadara on the Sea of Galilee and this dude came out of the tombs. He was a cutter. You guys remember that dude? Demon-possessed. Fully demon-possessed. Legion, 6,000 demons possessing him. And yet something, something still left in him to cry out to Jesus, wanting to be set free. And Jesus set him free, didn't he? And remember what the demons said? They said, don't send us to the abyss, please. Don't send us to that place. So apparently demons don't want to go there. That's the same word here, bottomless pit. Apparently it's so gnarly that even the demons that are, that are, that are able to go around free don't want to go there. But it tells us something else about Satan and demons and the demonic realm. Because remember what happened when, when, when Jesus cast them out? Where did they want to go? Into the pigs, the swine. And what did they do to this, the pigs and swine? Cause them to roll over and to kill themselves. It's important to understand that, is that, that Satan and the demons and darkness, all they want to do is destroy your life, any life, anything that God has created. And so it's so important to guard our hearts, even as believers, don't open our hearts and lives to darkness. God's going to protect us, but listen, you can get jacked up messing around with darkness. Some of us have came out of deep, deep darkness, and we are eternally grateful that the Lord set us free. And it's like, please don't go down that trail. Don't even invite that into your life in any bit, in any little bit of leaven. It will mess you. It, they will mess you up and jack you up so bad, so awful. And so, so the, Satan's given this key to the bottomless pit. And what does he do with it? Look at the next verse. Verse 2. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like smoke of a great furnace. You guys ever cook in your oven, and you open it up when it's hot, and stick your head in too close? Some of the ladies are like, I don't do that. You're just, I, do, I don't know. I just keep doing it all the time. I don't know why I look in to see... But what happens when you do that? Out comes the what? The heat, and if you've had something that's been you know, still burning. It has some smoke that comes to add a little smoke to that, right? You're not feeling too good. It doesn't feel great. That's the idea here. The bottomless pit is opened up and here comes smoke and, and out of the smoke comes, look what it says, so much smoke. There's a blackout on planet earth. Then out of the smoke, look at verse three, locusts came upon the earth. You guys ever seen locusts? There's some pretty gnarly critters, aren't they? They leave total devastation in their paths, right? They wipe out, they eat all the vegetation, crush all the crops. But I don't think these are natural locusts because, let's keep working our way together. What does it say? And to them was given power as the scorpions 
of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die, and death will flee from them. And as we continue to read on the next few verses, I think it makes it clear that these are not natural locusts. Again, they're natural locusts feed on green, on greens. These locusts are feeding on human beings. And they've got scorpion-like tails that are stinging um, men and causing pain in their lives. Um, so I believe this is an innumerable amount of fallen angels or demons that are cut loose on planet Earth and it's interesting, though, because in Scripture, God uses locusts for judgment. Remember in the book of Exodus, right? Upon Egypt came that plague of locusts. I think it was the eighth plague. Um, but just like then and now, God is in control. Do you guys see this? He's limiting what they can do. He limits the authority of the devil and darkness and then notice these locust-like creatures were told not to touch the vegetation on planet Earth. Apparently at this time some of the vegetation has grown back. But they were not allowed also to touch what? Those who had God's seal on their foreheads. And I think perhaps maybe other believers too. Those that have given their lives to the Lord that are sealed. But everyone else on planet Earth is fair game. And by the way, you remember back earlier, uh, what was it, chapter 6? No, chapter 7, 144,000 Jewish Christians were sealed with this seal of God on their foreheads. And so God is protecting. Um, he is making a distinction between those who are his and those who are not his. And what a great reminder, by the way, that God knows how to preserve his people from wrath. And so he's preserving them. And so notice with me, these locust-like creatures, it says, were not authorized to kill the unsaved people of the planet, only to torment them like scorpions. Anybody ever been stung by a scorpion here, by the way? Yeah? How's it feel? Good? It's no good, right? I just heard. I've never been... It's bad, right? Can you imagine five months continually suffering, being tormented? Um... And it's really, if, you're, if, if you read the book of Job, it's reminiscent of what happened to Job, isn't it? What do you mean by that? Well, remember when Satan afflicted Job? He was allowed to touch him physically, but not allowed to take his life. He was allowed to, um, to torment and test Job, but not allowed to kill him. So who's going to bring, at this time during the tribulation, who will be bringing this affliction, this horrific suffering? Who is it? Satan is. The devil is. How bad will the affliction be from these locust-like demonic creatures? Verse 6, the pain is so bad that what? What does it say? People will try to take their own lives, but they're not going to be able to. They, people can try to commit suicide, and they can't do it. They're prevented. And I think as you read this, you think about the physical anguish. The word there is torment. Also, it says they're tormented in these verses 
Um, there's despair. Listen, this is all a foretaste of eternal suffering in hell. It's all a foretaste of what's going to happen. Do you know there's close to 600 warnings in the Bible about hell? I think Jesus, someone said that Jesus spoke more about hell than any other topic at all. Isn't that interesting? Because it's such a topic that we like to avoid, isn't it? We don't want to talk about hell. We don't want to make people feel bad. Listen, gang, it's a reality. Those that reject Jesus Christ and the free gift of eternal life found in him, if they pass through the veil into eternity, it is straight to hell, <laughs> to the lake of fire, ultimately. And Jesus said, do whatever it takes to avoid going there. Get, remember that when he talked about that? Do whatever, cut out, out of your life anything that would, that would keep you on the broad path that leads to destruction, to follow him, to go his way. And God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but it's a foretaste. It's like the Lord takes a step back. You want to be involved in darkness? Here's what darkness looks like. Let me pull back the veil, just like with Elisha's servant, when Elisha's servant got to see all the angelic hosts in their army. Here's a look at what it looks like behind the scenes. You want to, you want to get involved with darkness? Here's what darkness wants to do to you, to destroy you, to hurt you, to bring torment into your life. Well, John goes on, look at verse 7. The shape of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth, and they had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions, and there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months. So John is doing the best he can to describe what he's seeing and hearing. Do you guys see this? He's using words like like and as. Let me just ask you a question. Can you imagine being transported from 90 AD to 2022 right now? And you're trying to describe the stuff you're seeing right now. Can you imagine it with me? Wouldn't it be weird? Like, how do I describe this thing? How do I describe Bucky's, this little <laughs> beaver-looking critter? Chipmunk, what is he? What is he again? I forgot. Beaver, yeah, beaver, sorry. I get it, that's a different, sorry. Get right back. So John's using first century terminology to, to describe the best way he can what he's seeing. And so some people say, this, is, this has got to be some military machinery. This has got to be helicopters. This, has got, this could be drones. It could be some genetic engineering that's going on. What do you think it is, Pastor? I'm going to tell you what I think it is. You ready for this? I know exactly what it is. It's something that looks like locust-like creatures with stings in their tails like scorpions. I think that's the safest place to be. I don't know. I'm not really sure. But here's what I do know. If you're taking notes, check it out later today. Joel chapter 1 and Joel chapter 2. This was predicted all the way back there in the Old Testament centuries earlier. 
of this demonic invasion. And it is horrific. It is horrible. Like I said earlier, this is something out of a horror movie. Um, it's, it's, it's awful in its cruelty. And yet you see what darkness wants to do to a life. The locust-like creatures have authority to bring pain for five months. Notice their authority and their duration of the pain was limited. All of this is governed by God and his sovereignty. And I don't know about you, but thank you, Lord, for your restraining work right now. Can you imagine when there's no restraint going on on planet Earth? It's just a free-for-all. Paul said... The Holy Spirit now restrains and will continue to restrain until he's taken out of the way. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. You can check it out also later. When's that going to happen? When's the restraining work of the Holy Spirit going to be removed from planet Earth? I think it's at the rapture of the church. Do you know that we have influence on this planet? Jesus said, you and you alone are the light of the world. You and you alone, Christian, are the salt of the earth. Salt has a preserving effect. How important is our preserving effect? Listen, this is a time of God's grace, and we are preserving others from the judgment of God right now, whether you realize it or not, especially if you're someone that prays. Once the church is gone, it opens the door for judgment. The Spirit will still be at work during this time, during the tribulation time, because people will get saved, but His restraining work is being, is being taken away. It's inactive, and God will let the world have its way. Things, you think things are bad now? Aren't they getting bad? It's going to get way worse. And no doubt, some people will get saved. They'll give their lives to Jesus during this time. It, for some of us, didn't it take tribulation? Did some of you guys it take tribulation to break you? It did in my life. Heavy pressure, all kinds of weirdness and pain. And, and it was like, oh, Lord, I need you. Forgive me. I've jacked up my life. And what does the Lord do? He comes in and he forgives you. And if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This whole new life with God at work in you and in you and through you in your life. And it's glorious. And so... But you've, you've got the majority of people on planet Earth at this time, we're going to see in just a moment, they will not repent. And what have they seen? They saw world peace collapse. What else did they see? People killing one another, death, famine, pestilence, plague, all these people chewed on, tormented one another by demonic locusts. And what do they do? They fail to repent. Why do they fail to repent? Jesus told us in John 3, 19, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Look at verse 11. And they had it as a king over them. Do locusts have kings? Proverbs 30, verse 27, I think it is. The locusts have no king. So we know this is not actual locusts. And they had it as a king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek he has the name Apollyon. So these locust-like creatures, they have some kind of ruler, some kind of a king, some kind of ruling entity in their life. I'm going to tell you who I believe it is. I believe it. this is Satan. I believe this is the devil. Some people say it's one of his henchmen, one of his generals. Um, let's not debate. I had someone try to debate me after first service. I'm like, dude, save it, bro. 
Because really, we're not going to be here, so we don't need to know. But here's what we do know. His name means destroyer and exterminator. And I think, why do I think that's an appropriate name for Satan? Because that's what he does. He brings destruction. How many lives has he destroyed? How many people have given him control, given the devil control of their hearts and lives? And what did he do? He destroyed them. He wiped them out. And so we see during the tribulation, Satan's true colors are really being seen. And um, if you don't know the Lord this morning, I know there's always a chance there's someone here that doesn't know Jesus. I know online people listen. The more you resist God, the more you open yourself up to the demonic realm. The more you resist the conviction of the Holy Spirit and your conscience, the more you open yourself up to demonic activity. The more you resist the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, you are opening your life up further and further to the influence of Satan. And let me just remind you of what Jesus said. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and life abundantly. That's what the Lord offers. And the devil doesn't tempt you to make life better for you. Jesus wants to give you life. Oh, life abundant does not mean life without difficulty or without suffering. But for those of us who belong to Jesus, again, let me remind you, the best is yet to come in heaven where there is no more pain and suffering and torment and difficulty because of what Jesus did. One woe is past. What does woe mean? Terror. Look out. Danger. Jesus said it. Woe unto you, Bethsaida. Woe unto you, Chorazin. If the mighty works were done in Sodom and Gomorrah that had been done in you, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. Jesus is saying, look out. You're in a desperate situation and time is running out. And that's what's happening here. One woe is past and there's two more coming. Danger. Look out. Turn while you still have a chance. Look at verse 13. Then we have time. Oh, we got another hour and a half. Yeah. <laughs> no, I got drugged to church this morning. I got a drug problem. Well, we'll talk about that in just a minute. Then the sixth angel sounded. Blows the trumpet. And I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And so sixth angel blows the trumpet right? And what does John hear? He hears a voice. It's an unidentified voice that's coming from the altar. And remember, we talked about this altar, this altar of incense. We see there's four corners. Remember, this was the place of prayer, represented God's, the prayers of God's people also. And so we know there's an altar there in heaven. And what's the instructions? To cut loose these four angels that are bound. Where are they bound at? at the great river Euphrates. Can I just remind us it's God who binds angels and demons and not us? Because there's a lot, again, getting back to that. I bind the, I bind the devil. I shackle him. I, what, was it Michael the archangel? I, Lord, you rebuke him. 
When the devil comes knocking at the door, don't answer. Let the Lord get it. Let him take care of it. Euphrates. You guys remember the Euphrates? One of the original four rivers from the Garden of Eden. It's the cradle of civilization right there between the modern-day Iraq is where it's at, Babylon. Cradle of civilization, right? First sin was there. First rebellion. First dictator. First, first murder between two brothers. First, first grave dug right there. Lots of firsts. This was the border of the promised land that God promised to Israel, the Euphrates River. It was the border, the eastern border of the Roman Empire also. It is a border between the Far East, the Middle East, and then into Europe and also um, the West as well. Very important place as we look at this. Um, And so can I just remind us also that angels um, do what God wants them to do. God's time schedule is determined by him alone. Everything is under his control and authority, including the devil and his angels. God has been holding these guys back. They've been restrained. They've been bound. They've been held. They're not just cruising around doing whatever they want to do. But notice it's a t- there's a specific time, verse 15. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released To kill a third of mankind. That's heavy. We've already seen, remember we saw a quarter of the world's population killed. And now we see a third. That's half. Eight eight billion people cut down to probably four billion at this time period. During the first half of the tribulation... And then verse 16, now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. So John hears this. How's how many? He hears how many uh, in the army? 200 million horsemen. And thus I saw the horses in the vision. This is an enormous attack. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire and smoke and brimstone. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths, for their power is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents having heads, and with them they do harm. So a third of the human beings left on planet earth get killed by these three plagues. And some believe by the description, again, it's speaking of military machines, um, weapons of war. Some people believe it's a human military force that's demonically uh, possessed. Um, I don't know. Again, I don't know. I'm just, what does John say here in this description? It seems to me to be something supernatural that's going on. I believe it's a second demon invasion, and God pulls back the curtain for John to see what's going on. And, uh, and notice with me, um, it's clearly supernatural. These horses have power flowing from their mouths, their tails. Their tails look like snakes, multiple heads doing damage. And that's a lot of damage, a third of the earth killed. Jesus said about this time in history, it will be great tribulation, 
such as the world has never seen nor ever shall be again. Well, what about the survivors? What do they do? Check it out. Look at, look at this. This is a, like a total mind blower to me. You see all of this. All this goes down. And what's the response? You've survived. I'm a survivor, man. Look what it says. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see, nor hear, nor walk. And they did not repent, check this out, of their murders, of their sorceries, or their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Can you imagine? You see all of this happen. You've been affected, man. You got the bite from the locust-like creature. You were tormented five months. And you're not willing to give up your sin and what you're involved in? That's heavy. Hey, I'm a survivor, man. I still got my stuff. In fact, I'm going to get some more stuff. From, I'm going to loot this. I'm going to take from my neighbor. He's dead. He doesn't need any more. Can you imagine? I can't, I can't believe in a God that would do that to me. Listen, buckaroo, the only reason you're alive is because of God's mercy. Because <laughs> he's the God who gives life and breath in all things. He's the only reason you're breathing right now and giving you another opportunity. And it's, it, to me, it's amazing. The survivors, they failed to repent they, repent means to have a change of mind, to think differently. That leads you to a different direction in your life. They failed to repent of what? Look what it says. They failed to repent of what they were doing with their hands. And Jesus said concerning this time period that, that these things would happen with more intensity and more frequency. And I can't imagine more murder, more thefts, more sexual immorality, more of that going on. But it's going to continue to ramp up even during the tribulation. Notice what it says, that they didn't repent, that they should not worship demons. They failed to repent of demon worship, being involved in darkness, being involved in the occult. Remember, at this time, it's the ant Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, the unholy trinity. People will be worshiping the devil, worshiping the Antichrist, out in the open, blatant public worship of the demonic realm. And notice they didn't repent of their idolatry. They failed to repent of idolatry. And we are driven to worship something, aren't we? To ascribe worth to something or to someone. You know, what are you setting as the highest value in your life this morning? What do you live for? What do you wake up for in the morning? That's what you worship. Worship means worth-ship. I ascribe worth to whatever it is that I give my life to. If it's Jesus and I worship him, I'm saying, Lord, you are worthy to be worshipped, to be followed. You're worthy of my trust. You're worthy of my obedience. That's what worship is. And we are worshipers, aren't we? Are we worshipers? The Bible tells us in Psalm 115 and Psalm 135, you become like that which you worship. 
And the good news for us is you worship Jesus, you become more like who? More like Jesus. There's no one better to be more like than Jesus Christ. Ultimately, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 20, that idol worship is demon worship. Do you know that we read this? It's interesting to me that John takes a thought consistent with the Old Testament about idols. He said that they're gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. Do you know that idols cannot rescue you or deliver you? They can't see. Our God sees. Our God, aren't you glad he hears? He hears your prayers. He sees what's going on in your life. He walks with you no matter what you're going through. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. We have a God that walks. He walks with us and promised never to leave us nor forsake us. That's the kind of God that we have. Well, I don't worship, the, uh, man, silver. That's, that's ancient stuff, right? Little statues. We, we worship these things today too. Don't we? Some people worship their car. They live for that. They live for money. They live for possessions. Jesus said no man can serve two masters, right? You can't serve both God and, what was the false god? Mammon, stuff, material possessions. Baal, the, the, the false god of, of the crops and prosperity and success. They would offer their kids to Molech, to be blessed by Molech. I mean, there's nothing new under the sun. Living for Baal, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm living for, for, for intellect, for sexual immorality, all those things. There's nothing new under the sun. It's still going on today, just repackaged and renamed. And what's interesting to me is that look what happens when you worship these false gods, the behavior that follows. Look what it says in verse 21. They did not repent of what? Their murders. They failed to repent of taking innocent lives including the sin of abortion. Unrestrained hatred, exploiting of people for personal gain. An absolute lack of human value and dignity. It's happening today and it's going to continue to ramp up even at this time. Jesus spoke about this time as being like the days of Days of Noah where violence covered the face of the earth. Can you imagine? It says about Noah, he was a preacher of what? Preacher of righteousness. He was there preaching. How many people, how many people did, were converted under his ministry? Seven, thank you. 120 years saying, listen, judgment is coming. Faithful to the message. Judgment is coming. There is a way to escape the wrath to come. There is a way to escape judgment. It's putting your trust in God. You need to turn and repent from what you're involved in. The things you're doing, you need to turn to the true and the living God. Why am I bringing this up? Because you and I, we may never see one more convert, but his walk affected his family. You be faithful in your home. To not only preach the message, but to live it. God gave him an impossible command. What is this? Build an ark. What? There's going to be a what coming? What is that? Out in the middle of nowhere? And he was faithful, wasn't he? Faithful to build, faithful to preach, faithful to do what God called him to do. Why? Because he was worshiping, Lord, I believe it. I tr- you're worthy of my trust. You're worthy of my obedience. That's what worship is. Look at else. They didn't repent of what? Sorceries. Is that just like guys with like hats and cast spells? 
They didn't put down their Harry Potter, Henry Potter books. Is that what we're talking about here? Sort, listen, they failed to repent of their involvement with the occult and drug use. Drugs are tied into sorcery and witchcraft. They, are connect, they were connected both then and they are connected now as well. Drugs are an escape from reality. It's an attempt to live in fantasy land, escape reality, escape pain, emptiness. You're looking for love in all the wrong places with all these things. You're looking for peace in all the wrong places. You're looking for joy in all the wrong places with these things. The, the word uh, sorcery is pharmakia in the Greek. We get pharmacy from that, drug use. And what are they saying? I'm a survivor, man, but I got to take the edge off. These, lo- these locusts, let me get another hit. Let me get another whatever, another line. Sexual immorality. They failed to repent of having sexual experiences outside of the marriage bed as prescribed by God in his word. Can I define it again for us, what marriage is according to God's word? No, I'm going to say it anyway. (laughs) One genetic male husband, one genetic female wife for life, covenanted together in holy matrimony. How's that? Good def- okay, that's what marriage is. Outside of that, it's sexual immorality, fornication, adultery, homosexuality, bestiality, pedophilia, and the like. Listen, if you're practicing those things, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. I didn't say it. God said it in his word numerous times. They're thefts. They fail to repent of taking what doesn't belong to them. Stealing, ripping off people, looting. Again, we see the results of of worship here. You fail to worship the true and the living God. You fail to worship Jesus and the things that you get involved with, right? And God, listen, God has made us in his own image. Isn't that glorious? In his own image and likeness. If you take that out of a culture, what are you left with? You take that out of a culture and what happens? You take God out and what happens? You begin to live like animals on the animal plane, living for your flesh, living what you're going to put on and put in. That's all life becomes about for a people, for a culture, for a family, for a group of people. And even after all they've experienced and seen, it was back to business as usual for them. And you know what? I've seen it happen in the church. 9-11, you guys remember 9-11? 9-11, you know, there was standing room only in the church. We could be in Leviticus. Everybody, It's packed. Packed. And then what happened? You know what happened a few months later? Where did everybody go? Where did everybody go? What happened? The bombs start falling, right? Flare prayers go up. I got to get to church now. I got to get back in fellowship. I got to get into church. And then what happened? All of a sudden, things lighten up. Where did everybody go? Back to business as usual. And can I just remind us this morning, God commands all men everywhere to repent. And repent is not, I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry. Repentance is saying, God, I did not see it your way. I was wrong. I now see it your way. This is offensive to you. I see it as sin. It's wrong. I will go your direction now. I will follow your lead. Listen, all sin is moving the opposite direction of God. Repentance is saying, Lord, I got it all wrong. I'm wrong. You're right. I'm making a turn. I'm aligning my thinking with your thinking, with, your, with what your word says. And by the way, repentance is not just a one-time thing. It's a lifestyle for us as believers. Are you with me? It's a lifestyle. I mean, remember chapter 2 and chapter 3? Jesus gave how many report cards? Seven report cards to who? To the world? To the church. And he called at least five to repent, didn't he? He who has ears to hear, hear what the Spirit is saying, repent, man. You need to have a change of mind, a change in your thinking. It's a lifestyle. Isn't it glorious we can repent? The Holy Spirit shows us. We need to make an adjustment. And we make that adjustment, we experience his power, his strength to do it. Isn't God good? It's God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Let me remind us as we close up, only one is worthy of our worship. And you know, our hearts can get hard. Can't they? And so we do a David, Psalm 139. Lord, search me. Is there anything I'm putting above you? Is there anything that I've elevated? You know, because you know what we can do? We can start off hot, man. Lord, you're number one. And then time starts to go, right? And we can easily drift away from where we should be. And now the Lord is number one, but I got a few more gods on my list. And in the Ten Commandments, God says, you shall have no other God before me. In Hebrew, that means no other God in my sight. It means the Lord and him alone, no one else. I think it's a good thing to say, Lord, search my heart, see. I don't want to be in that place where I've got something else that I'm giving my affection to, my time to, my treasures to. And can I remind us, the problem is the human heart. Jesus said it, Mark chapter 7, all of these things come from the heart. And who's the expert in our hearts? Who's the expert in our hearts? Dr. Phil? <laughs> who's, the, who's the expert? Jesus. Let me, let me close with this. Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. It's Jesus who sets us free, gang. Keep walking that freedom. Avoid the idols. Avoid the stuff that would pull our affection from him. Make him number one, and what's going to happen? It's all going to work out. Amen. In Jesus' name.